and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number two, our first full episode. So excited. As we're kicking off this podcast, we thought it would be prudent for us to sit down and talk about the Bible of all things. Can you imagine? About what kind of book it is, how it was written, and some basics of how it was put together, because it is the foundation of everything going forward. So Brian and I sit down and chat about that. He does a lot of the talking. I do a lot of the learning and listening, but uh, we thought it was a really good place for us to start as we kick off the podcast. On a side note, we started recording episodes for this podcast during the middle of the pandemic. Brian's in Bloomington, Illinois. I'm in Indianapolis. So Brian is literally phoning it in on a couple of these first episodes. So the audio quality does get better as we're eventually able to be in the same room. With all that said, thanks again so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. So, hey, Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well, Brian, Ryan, Ryan, Brian, doctor, (laughs) doctor. Hey, so uh, today, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, I thought we'd talk about scripture, maybe. I think it's kind of a foundational topic for all the rest of the stuff we're thinking about talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I guess if we're going to do theology, we got to have something to kind of base it off of. So, um, yeah, so with that in mind, you know, talking about scripture and the authority of and all that stuff, tell us um, a little bit like what kind of book is the Bible and like how should we approach it? I mean, there's lots of ways we could say this. The Bible's unlike any other book that we have. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a number of different ways that that's true. But usually when you pick up a book of any kind, it's kind of, it has coherence from beginning to end, right? It's it's uh, one topic, like you might pick up a novel and it's one story, or you pick up some kind of a nonfiction book and it's about one topic. But really the Bible, uh, it's been said before, it's a, it's really a library of books. It's, it's a whole bunch of books put together. And, and it's not even that they're different books, but they're actually different kinds of books that are part of the Bible. And, and the reason that causes us problems sometimes, I think, is is when people pick up the Bible, if they picked it up like any other book, they would expect no matter where they turn to kind of be on the same subject. And that's not really true with the Bible. It depends on what book we're looking at. Uh, even, you know, because the Bible was written over such a long period of time, we're even looking at at different major sections of the Bible and how we read them or what we're thinking about when we're reading those really varies depending on what part of the Bible we're talking about. So, so it's not like going to the, you know, going to the fiction shelves and your Barnes and Noble and like, oh, I know this is fiction. I'm not saying the Bible's fiction. I'm just saying like, you know, you know your genre, you know, like if this is, this is a biography or this is poetry or this is that it's, it's, you've got a whole collection of different things shoved in together. Yeah. Let me just give you an example, maybe to kind of see this. Most people are familiar with the Psalms in the Bible and the Psalms are really kind of a, a songbook, if you will. They're, they're, they're they're in a form we call Hebrew poetry. They're discrete kind of poems or songs that were used in worship by God's people in the Old Testament period, and you know the the uh, people of Israel use these as their songbook. And, and you're going to uh, respond to a poem different than you are. Let's say you mentioned a biography, for example. If you think about the Gospels, these first four books in what we call the New Testament. Those are really stories that have to do with the life of Jesus. And so anything that's kind of told in a narrative form, like a story, you're going to read that differently than you are, let's say, a poem. Or or let me give you another example. The book of Proverbs, 
you know, most people know the book of Proverbs is right after Psalms. And if you look at the book of Proverbs, you'll see um, that, that that's exactly what they are. They're a series of short sayings that are describing wisdom. They're trying to give us wisdom. You know, there's letters in the Bible. There are there are history books in the Bible. If you think about First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, for example, there's books that we call prophetic books in the Old Testament, like the Book of Isaiah, and all of these really require us to read them on their own. You mentioned going into a bookstore and you use the term genre. You know, you go to a section of mystery, for example, and you know what you're going to get there, and you don't read a book of mystery the same way that you would read, for example, if you went to the history section and picked up a book on World War II, you'd read those two books differently. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think sometimes we get in, in confusion over the Bible because we, we want to read it almost all the same way. What's the lens that we should read stuff through? You know, you talked about the Psalms and its poetry. So sure. how, do we, how do we understand what it's saying through that lens of right. poetry? Well, I, I think when we think about and I mentioned there's different authors throughout Scripture, and when we think about the fact that this author chose to express their their ideas uh, through writing a poem, for example, that, that they wrote poetry means that we read it in that in that kind of an idea. So many of the Psalms were written by David. Uh, not all of them, but many of them were written by David. Well, he's and being so chased. The, what's that? Well, he's being chased. Right, well, he's being chased by Saul sometimes, and yeah. other things are going on in his life, and some of those things are preserved. I'll say some more about that in a minute. Some of those things are preserved in the beginning of the Psalms, uh, of each Psalm. There's a heading for for most Psalms, but that he chose to express this in in poetry means that we don't read it like we would the same way we would read it, read a newspaper, for example. Poems often have uh, emotional kind of things. Even when we write poetry today, we're trying to get across a feeling, oftentimes, or we're giving images. Uh, about a truth. Uh, there's truth in the Psalms. Don't get me wrong. These, these mm-hmm. are expressing truths about God, but the form they're doing them in is poetic, and therefore we need to read it with that in mind, just the same way that we would uh, think about poetry today in some ways. We're looking for images. We're trying to understand. David often used metaphor. I'll give you an example. Just this morning, I was reading Psalm 61, and um, Psalm 61 talks about basically, you know, I'm, I'm in this darkness, I'm in this time of uh, a difficulty, and I want to be led, this is a, a phrase you may have heard before, I want to be led to the rock that is higher than I. Mm-hmm. And, and what he's talking about there, he goes on and says, the, the Lord has been my refuge. And, and so the whole idea of it is that this rock is a metaphor for God. You know, not saying God is rock, <laughs> literally, but <laughs> but God is like a rock. And, and if you think about it, whenever we we try to come up with these ideas in poetry, particularly, it's important to find out what is common to the image that the poet is using to to the subject. So so God is like a rock. So what is there about a rock that David is using to describe his relationship with God? And I think it has to do with the fact that a rock is is a solid foundation. It's a place that doesn't move. It's a place of safety. Like, for example, uh, Jesus uses a, a metaphor, the difference between being on a rock and being on shifting sand, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those, yeah. are, those are two different kinds of places to be. And so the idea is if God is a rock, he's solid. He has a foundation that we can trust and we can rely on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so we've got poetry, we've got wisdom literature, we've got biography, we've got right. historical what else have we got in there? 
And pro- well, prophecy. Uh, pro- prophecy, yeah. Uh, letters. Most of the New Testament, if you're if you're not talking about it in volume, but if you're talking about the books, mm. the, the majority of the books of the New Testament are are letters that are written from most of them are written by the Apostle Paul while he was on his missionary journeys to various churches and a few of them to individuals. And so these are letters. And again, a letter has a particular form. And and letters in the first century and letters in our time uh, are similar in some ways, but there are also differences. For example, in the old, you know, in the first century when Paul lived, uh, when he was writing these letters, the author would put his name at the beginning of the book rather than at the end. When we write a letter, usually you, you go down. And I know Ryan, when you're writing a letter to oh, someone, tons of letters I write. I'm writing <laughs> letters every day, or emails today. I guess emails. There we go. But, you, but usually at the end of our email, we'll say something like, um, you know, sincerely Ryan, or we'll say uh, best wishes, you know, Brian, something like that, and. Um, we put our name at the end, but in the first century, they put their name at the beginning. And you can see this if you read the book of, uh, for example, 1 Corinthians. Paul will put his name there. He'll put the name of the people that he's writing to, or not the names, but the description of the people he's writing to, the church. And then he usually gives a greeting after that. So it's uh, it's in the form of a letter, but it's um, you know in a first century letter, not a letter the way we would write it. I, I want to say something real quick that you, you said biographies, and I did. I use that as an example of of um, the Gospels. But I will say this, and I'm not going to go into this in in detail. But there's a lot of debate about exactly how we understand the Gospels. There were biographies that were written in the first century. They had a particular. They they were called bioi, is what they were called. And we can find all kinds of examples of those in the first century that were written. But the question is, do Gospels exactly fit that same format of biography, or are they something distinct? Mm. And uh, most people think that they are something distinct. In other words, the Gospels are something different than strict biography. Uh, And the reason is they focus, if you think about it, the Gospels Mm -hmm. really only focus upon uh, a short part of Jesus' life compared to his his entire life. It's just focused really on his ministry. And so it's about his message and the things that he did in his ministry rather than focusing on his whole life. Yeah, we, we kind of got a gap there from like when he's 12 to when he's 30. Yeah, like we don't, right, we, we exactly. don't know what happened. Or, or however he, old he was when the ministry started. But yeah, it's um, we, we just past Christmas here when we're recording this. In fact, this last week was Christmas, and mm-hmm. uh, there's only two of the books that talk about Jesus, two of the Gospels, I should say, the four that talk about Jesus' birth at all. Matthew and Luke talk about that, and really Mark begins with when Jesus' ministry begins, and John <laughs> John does something completely different with the beginning <laughs> of his book. But really, they only have that. Luke then mentions this this account you're talking about when Jesus was 12 years old, and mm-hmm. he was up at the the temple with his uh, with his mom and dad went up to Jerusalem with his mother and father, and then uh, we don't hear another thing until he goes to be baptized by John the Baptist. So there's this long gap in there. You know, Jesus is absolutely the focus of the Gospels, but it's really focused on the message of what he's preaching and also why he says that he came into the world. Yeah, so some of these genres are a little different than what we're going on. The, the was it bioi? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, bioi. Mm-hmm. Bioi. Yeah. So we've got different genres that are maybe different than what's already happening in the first century, so forth. Yeah. But the you know all these books come from a wide variety of time. You know, this is yeah. not like this is compiled at a, a certain time. So, what's the authority? You know, we're talking about the authority of scripture. Why? Sure. How, why do we believe these are uh, authoritative for for our faith? 
That's a really good question. Um, you know, the Bible, you said a long period of time, about f- over 1,500 years, depending on how we date exactly all the timing. But th- these books were written over – I mean, if you think about – sometimes I think we start using these big numbers of years and we kind of lose track of even what that means. But, you know, this country is just over a couple hundred years old, the United States, right? right. And, and we're talking about 1,500 years. That's That's a vast amount of time. I mean, you think about 1,500 years ago, it was a completely different uh, culture and situation. They didn't have podcasts 1,500 years ago, for example. They they missed out (laughs) on a variety of things, healthcare, (laughs) dentistry, everything. But there are also these different authors. But I think the thing that really – for Christians, we approach the the Bible as, as the Word of God. And the reason we do that, even though it's written by a variety of different authors over this period of time, is because we understand we we use this term inspired. Sometimes we we misunderstand this word, I think, too, because we use that word in common everyday language in a different way than we mean it when we talk about the Bible or we talk about theology. But but what we believe is that the Holy Spirit of God operated or acted on the authors of scripture so that what they were writing was actually the word of God, and that's what gives it authority. Um, not because you know the human authors, but because of the Holy Spirit working in and through the the human authors in order to to have these things recorded. So that's that's why we consider these things to be authoritative. And I say we use the word inspired differently. Uh, let me say something about that just real quick. Sometimes people say, "Oh, I was inspired to write this poem. I saw this beautiful sunset, and so I wrote this poem." And and when we're using the word inspiration uh, theologically to talk about the Bible we mean inspiration differently. We're talking really, it, it comes from something the Apostle Paul said in a second letter second to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is, and the way we usually translate, he says, God breathed. And, and it's that idea that, 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 you know, inspired has to do with this idea of the breath of God uh, being what has given us scripture. Uh, so all scripture is, is authoritative because it comes from, from, the Holy Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. So, how do we? I don't, I'm going to be devil's advocate here, you know. Okay. So, so Paul's saying this in Second Timothy, uh-huh. um, and so how do we, as Christians, look at that today? Because Paul is saying that, but the Bible as we know it did not exist. You know, Paul's got other letters floating around out sure. there. Uh, we have the the Hebrew scriptures are out there. I mean, they would have been right in the synagogues, and so these people would have known right. that. And so, is Paul only? Is he just saying that the Old Testament is inspired? How do we interpret that today? knowing that the Bible that we have today did not exist when Paul was writing Second right. Timothy. And that, that's a really good question. And, and I think that, you know, that it also, that what you said there helps give us this image of how the Bible's put together. Cause you said there's all these things floating out there. It's kind of the way you put it, but, but yeah. the Bible kind of came together over a period of time. I said it was written over 1500 years, but, but you know, the God's people are kind of, collecting these books as the as the time goes along. When we talk about the Old Testament, the image is a little bit different than it is in the New Testament, because in the Old Testament, a lot of times it was the 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 priest and the leaders of the people who were kind of collecting these books together. And and in the New Testament, the New Testament books were written over a relatively short period of time compared to the Old Testament. You know, again, depending on how we we date exactly the books, we're talking, you know, maybe 50 years or maybe a little bit more. And that period of time is relatively short, and there's no – I don't want to say this. The people of God in the New Testament period are much more scattered and kind of not all one community. That was part of the whole message of Jesus, right, is, is you're going to preach this gospel, he said to the disciples, to the entire world, right, to, mm-hmm. to, to everyone. 
and uh, go into all the nations, he said. And so so the people of God become more scattered in a sense, if, if you think about it. They're not one coherent community in that in that way. And so you're right, though, when you, when Paul talks about Scripture, he's probably talking about the Old Testament. The word Scripture is used a little over 50 times in the New Testament, and almost every time it seems to be referring to the Old Testament. That was the authoritative Word of God to the early Christians. Uh, when they used to, you mentioned the synagogue, but I think when the early Christians gathered uh, for worship, often what they would do is they would share these Old Testament scriptures, probably sometimes focusing upon the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, who we understand to be Jesus. But also then, as, ti- as time went on, some of the stories about Jesus became very important, the story of his life. The first century, the, or I should say the, the first generation people around Jesus, many of them would have seen him or, or, or known him, but then the stories about him began to be told. And I think it became very important to have the Gospels when you got further and further away from that, from those people who were the first eyewitnesses. And so these these uh, books began to be, these stories began to be collected together and written down in, in that kind of way. So when Paul's talking about Scripture, yeah, he's talking about the Old Testament. I think if you want to think about why do we consider the New Testament to be authoritative, there's a couple of passages that I, I always refer to. One of them is Jesus makes this promise. According to the Gospel of John, Jesus promises his disciples that the Comforter, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, but the Comforter is going to come, and he says he's going to remind you of all the things uh, that I, I did and I said when I was with you. And so I guess what I'm saying is kind of a backwards way to do it, but in a way, but but Jesus promises his disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to enable them to remember these things. And so I think the people who wrote down the scriptures, if you will, were guided by the Holy Spirit as well. I think that that's a big deal. And 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 I'll go ahead and say this that there's different ways that different Christians understand this. I understand what makes the this writings of the New Testament authoritative is that the Holy Spirit is the one who, who inspired it. I think that's what made it authoritative. And the church, the early church, and I want to use this term carefully because it can be misunderstood, but they recognized the character of these writings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they saw the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in them. Now, some people would, would say, it, some Christians would say it the other way, that the church is the one who essentially decided what books were, were scripture, but I think it's the other way around. I think the books are inspired because the Holy Spirit's action on these authors, and then the church saw that quality in them. They they knew that quality in them. So, yeah, it, I was just reading a book uh, by Brian Wright called uh, "Communal Reading in the Time of Jesus." Yeah, and he's talking about this very thing that the community, as they heard. Paul's letters, or they're reading them or hearing them in synagogue, yeah. and that, that there were false teachers in there, but it was in those readings that the community kind of goes, no, 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 that's not right. You know, that they right. were sifting through some of the, uh, the, separating the wheat from the chaff there, that some of the the distortions that in these communal readings that they were starting to develop this library right. of, of scripture 
from the beginning yeah. as they as they were hearing it, and uh, so it's just an interesting conversation around that. Yeah, I think Paul's letters were, you know, Paul's letters like, answers a little bit different even than the Gospels in some ways. I think Paul's letters were collected together. I think they began to be collected together even during his own life. I don't know if you remember. There's a couple of different places in the, what we call the prison epistles, typically, where Paul says, uh, "You know, I'm writing this letter to you, but you need to go read this letter by the Laodiceans as well." Yep. Uh, and, and so I think that. What would happen? This is this is kind of the way I imagine it. Is um, these writings would have been probably copied. It, it's not, you know, if you've got a letter from the Apostle Paul to, to our church, it's not like you're going to lend that to the church, you know, down the road. You're probably going to make a copy of that, and then you go and you take that to them, and then at the same time, you have your scribes or whoever in your in your church has that ability to to read and to write, make a copy of the letter that Paul sent there, and so you can see how those would kind of begin to be collected together. And I think pretty early there were some people who took it upon themselves to kind of go and say, well, let's find all these letters that Paul had, had written. Uh, and they, they, they saw in him this, this character. And, and I'll say Paul saw this, this character in himself, that what he wrote was from the Holy spirit. There's a couple places in scripture uh, or, or I use the word scripture there, but in, in Paul, I'll, I'll say this this way, since you're asking this question, yeah. you know, I, I consider the, the, the Bibles we have, and I consider it all to be scripture. I'm going to go ahead and say, that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to, to answer your question, the, the books that we call Paul's letters within them, Paul seems to be giving indication. I'm saying this by the spirit, you know, the spirit of God is in me and I'm speaking these things in a very, uh, very specific way. It's kind of hard. I know some people say, well, it's, it's a circular argument. If these books are themselves saying they're authoritative, then how, how can you say they're authoritative? But you mentioned, I think also the communities recognize this and they compared them to other things. They're, they're, one of the things that gives me confidence in the books that we have in the New Testament is there are other books that did not make it in. <laughs> I often yes. say that, that that if if it was simply like everything that ever was written in the first century, they all kind of collected into this. But there are there are some, then we have uh, examples, stories from the early church about them rejecting certain books and saying these do not belong. It's not the picture that Dan Brown gave us either, of that kind of being the, the hierarchy. <laughs> I, don't know, yes. I mentioned, I don't know if you guys are read angels and demons or, mm-hmm. uh, what's the, what's the movie that, um, the Da Vinci, Code. The da Vinci Code. Right. Yes. Right. So, you know, his books kind of give us this image that, that there's some emperor or somebody down the road that kind of says, well, these are in and these are out. And I, I don't, I don't think that's the way it worked. I think it was much more from the community itself. Uh, the community of God's people as they gathered, uh, were reading these things. And I think pretty early on, uh, Luke, for example, I find it interesting to think about how that book may have come to be, but Luke, we believe, was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, mm-hmm. and so they're going throughout the the world. And if you remember the beginning of the of the Gospel of Luke, Ryan, you remember he says that you know I've I've talked to these. He, he uses two words. He says eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So I think as they traveled to Ephesus and you know, throughout Asia Minor and over into into Greece and, and these different areas, I think he talked to the people who were who were the eyewitnesses that, that were still alive and available during that period of time. Uh, and, you know, some of these things are traditional. Their tradition has certain people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry that that settled in certain areas of the world. And they settled in these areas that Paul and Luke traveled in. And you can imagine as as Paul is planting these churches, 
And and there are these. This, this is the thing. We're we're so far down the road. I think we have a hard time imagining what it was like. Paul's planting these churches, and these people are giving their lives to say, "I'm going to follow this this guy named Jesus." Mm-hmm. And and you know, Paul will tell them these stories and that kind of thing. But you can imagine how they would be hungry to hear stories about this guy that they're pledging their life to. You know, some of them are facing hardship and leaving their families and. You know, it's having financial impacts on some of them. That's how committed they are to this message. And you can imagine them, you know, how hungry would they be for a book like the Gospel of Luke that had all these stories about the things that Jesus did. And Luke, of course, contains these large sections of of, um, sermons that Jesus preached and these uh, all these parables that Jesus spoke. And you can imagine how hungry they'd be to hear as much as they could about Jesus. We've almost become sometimes, I think, you know, it becomes it's old hat to us. We know we know it, these stories well, right? And just imagine how hungry we'd be for them if we didn't have those. So yeah, absolutely. So the Bible is scripture. Yeah, it's inspired. So how do we with that as a foundation? How do we interact with it? Like, what okay. difference does it make? You know, we believe it is it is scripture. There's different genres. There's different ways to read it. So how do we interact with it? Like what difference does it make in our faith if we approach the Bible differently, if we start seeing it differently in these genres and reading it differently? I think that's a great question that, you know, the Reformation, if you, if, if you think about when the reformers, you know, people like Martin Luther and uh, uh, John Calvin and these early reformers, when they began to say the church needed to be, Reform to, to to be brought back in in into line with what God wanted from His church. Scripture was an important part of that. Uh, at that point, Scripture was not available for many people in their in their own languages. You know, again, we probably many of us, if we're believers, we have multiple copies of the Bible in our house. Uh, you know, these days we can we don't even need to have a hard copy. We can go online and we can find in English at least. You know, forty or fifty different translations, probably of uh, of the Old and New Testament, but that was not the case. You know, back in the fifteen hundreds, and so so you take that the Reformation really focused strongly on as they read Scripture, they were saying these things that we're doing in the church are not in keeping with what we read about in Scripture, and so they had a saying, "Sola Scriptura," the the Bible alone is what what they was one of the tenets of, of the Reformation. And, and Ryan, you and I come from the same church tradition. We come from a, a similar kind of church, and, and, and those churches really highly, we, we call them restoration movement churches, those churches really highly said that we want to do what the Bible says, both, both in the way that we believe and also the way that our churches function. Mm-hmm. We want the Scripture to be what guides that, not anything else, not some other teaching of a person, not some tradition, but we want to be really Bible Christians that, that do things according to, to Scripture. And so not every Christian is like that. That's what we have to understand. Not every, every follower of Christ says that this is the way that I want to prioritize things. But, you know, I think it's very important that Scripture is first, that Scripture is is what um, what we use to guide our faith and practice. And here's the reason. If we believe Scripture is the very Word of God, then it is God, you know, speaking truth to us, and then for us to understand it, and and for us 
to put it into practice, I think, I think is absolutely crucial. Not every believer is like that, though. There, there are those who follow a particular tradition or uh, a different theological perspective, or, or you'll hear about creeds sometimes that, that are attempts to kind of summarize the teachings of Scripture, or catechisms that are they're kind of an attempt to explain Scripture in a particular way. And really, what I believe is that we need to, as much as possible, uh, look at the Bible alone as our as our authority. But I've already su- suggested to you, it, it's not that we just simply read it. I, I sometimes will use the term flat. You know, it's not like a flat reading. It's not like we just look at it and say, well, the Bible says this. And, and you'll hear people say that. Well, Bible says it, and I believe it, and that settles right. it, right? But we need to be careful because the Bible is somewhat nuanced in the way that it was given to us. Uh, the thing that gives me confidence in that is that if I believe that this is the way that God chose to reveal himself to me, I, and man, I don't mean just to me personally, but to, to us as, as his followers, as his people, if he chose to reveal himself to us in this way, then I would say that he has given us what's necessary to be equal to the task of understanding or receiving that message. And, and so I guess what I'm talking about, when you ask the question, how do we then interact with the Bible? I think it means we need to be careful students of it. It's not just a matter of simply reading it. But we, we need to, to learn what it is saying. When we look to other places, you know, other people or other, other documents for our authority, or even I will sometimes say when we prioritize one part of Scripture over all the, the Bible, if we say, well, I'm just going to look at the Sermon on the Mount, for example, that's really what I'm going to use mm-hmm. uh, in order to read the rest of the Bible through the, that lens. When we prioritize that, I would say the problem is we become the authority uh, rather than allowing God's revelation in his scripture to become the authority. We become the ones who decide, well, that doesn't fit with my understanding of how God works, instead of allowing the Bible to shape us. So I yeah. don't know if that helps or not. but Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I remember reading a couple of years ago, it's kind of on this topic of how do we how do we read it through the lens of the original here? You know, like a, a first century... Right. Jew or, you know, in the Old Testament, I remember reading the book uh, Demythologizing the New Testament by Rudolf Bultmann, where it was basically right. like, oh, they didn't understand science, they didn't understand their things right there, so we have to take out all these supernatural parts, and then we have sure. well, that liberation theology that comes out, and there's these new, this, some of the critical theory things that are coming out now, where we have to read it, uh, certain people can read it in different ways, and then there's truth in that if they read it in a right. different way, and so how do we... How do we get to the truth in some way? Because, I mean, there is the—I want to say the veil of time through some right. of that. You know, how do we how do we get back to that? That's a really good question. What what is what is our goal when we're reading Scripture? What is our goal if we say, oh, I'm going to come to, to you know, I want to understand what God is saying. How, how do I make sure that I'm, that I'm understanding that appropriately? I, I would say that some of the other methods that you talked about are— Hermeneutics is a, is a fancy word for that. Hermeneutics is just the science of interpretation. I think those things can inform us, and I think it's good for us to know about it. Not everybody has to understand or or, or know those things, but it's it, it they those those different ideas can can help us to to think more more critically about this. But I, you mentioned the veil of time. God chose, for example, to send Jesus in, in a particular time in a particular place. Uh, and there's a couple of different places in Scripture. Paul says, for example, that that he came at just the right time. 
that he was born at just the right time. One other phrase that's used is when the fullness of time had come. So because of that, because Jesus entered the world as, as believers in Jesus, we believe that he, he was born in a very particular historical period in a very particular historical place. That means that there are certain things that we have to understand in order to be able to understand writings from that period of time. Uh, so we need to understand something about the history and the culture, what's different about the culture in that period of time, what's different about the language. Uh, so, you know, we we have translations of the Bible available to us, but the New Testament, for example, was written uh, almost entirely in Greek with just a few phrases in a, in a language called Aramaic. And then the Old Testament was written almost entirely in Hebrew with a few sections in Aramaic. And, and so any translation is, is if you've ever studied a foreign language, you know that translations can always have a certain level of imprecision. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that they can't be trusted, but it's, it, it's, you know, when somebody's saying something to you, even in Spanish or whatever, you, you, there's going to be nuances of that that you may l- lose. And that's where we want to be students of Scripture. It's not just reading it, but we want to really study it and understand it. For my part, I mean, I've spent a lot of my life devoted to trying to understand Scripture better, and it's always been um, – I don't say this. It's always been uh, fulfilling to me. The more I have studied and the more I've understood, the more it has made Scripture come alive. And you know, some people say we well, study it so much and it becomes boring or flat or whatever. That's never been the case for me. There's always more to understand about it. But you're saying, you know, when we talk about the 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 authors, sometimes people talk about the author's intention. What did the author? And again, if we're thinking about the Bible, we're thinking not only the human author, but also the Holy Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. What did the author intend when they wrote or, or said a particular thing, when Jesus said the things that he did and then were recorded? What was the intention? The problem is some people say, how can you get into an author's intention? You know, How can you look inside their head in order to understand? So philosophically, sometimes people will say, it's an, what, what you're asking for is an impossible task. And I would say this, I would say that there, we need to be aware of the difficulties with trying to understand the, the, the original meaning of the text. We need to be aware of those difficulties. But instead of simply throwing up our hands and giving up, we need to recognize that communication happens. You and I are talking right now, Ryan, right? right. And, and I'm able to say things. Now, here's the difference. When we're sitting here talking, uh, if you don't understand something, you give me a, you know, you raise your eyebrow or you give me a look like, or you say, I don't get what you're saying. What do you mean? And that that opens me up to explain it more fully. We're separated, as you're saying, by time from these authors. And so it's impossible for us to say, Paul, what in the world did you mean by this? Even his letters were probably, we believe that they were carried by people that he even says in certain of his letters, I'm giving some more information to these people who are carrying these letters so they can pass these things on to you. We think they would have helped explain, you know, some of these difficult things. Right. Even, even Peter Write it all says, down, Paul. Write it all yeah. down. <laughs> Come on. And, and so, uh, so, you know, we don't have that advantage, but I think what we can do is even recognizing those problems. I think that that we need to do the best that we can in order to understand. And I think here's the thing I'll say. Here's the confidence that I have. The essential meaning of of, of the Bible, the, the the central messages 
of what the Bible means, Old and New Testament, that the teachings of Jesus are available to us, are accessible to us. And we can understand well, I think, what it is that that God is communicating through the Scripture. My only point is this. The more that we apply ourselves to understanding some of the things about language and culture and various things, the, the better we can understand his word. And, and for me, again, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it to understand what God uh, is saying. Does, does that make sense? Is that? Yeah. yeah I, I, I've been reading, you and I've had these conversations. I've been reading yeah. quite a bit and just like what was happening in that first century, you know, and it's been really interesting for me to kind of, you know, the communal reading piece of it and also sure. understanding the the rhetorical structures that, that yes. of these letters from Paul were meant to be read out loud. And right. I, I've got a reader's version of the Bible and I'm reading this and kind of going, imagining where's the, where's the crux of this or right. speech. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things for me is, is for me personally, is kind of going, am I, getting away from the the verse numbers we've put in there and kind of going, oh, yeah. I need to analyze these four verses. But those four verses live in this context of this whole speech yeah. they would have heard together. And yeah, so- we absolutely. We understand more about the language now than when the verse numbers were put in. So there are, there are some places I can immediately think of right now where those verse numbers really kind of are in the middle of a sentence, what we understand now to be a sentence or an idea even. And so, yeah, I think taking those out, sometimes I when, when I was teaching, I was often doing this with students as I would say, read this without the, the chapters and verses. Uh, and what you mentioned, rhetorical readings, I think are, are valuable because uh, rhetoric was one of the things that was studied in the first century. That's how you would structure your your speech. For example, if you're going to give a sermon, you would use rhetorical language. Paul clearly uh, was a student of rhetoric. And so I think those kind of studies can help us understand that more. There's another thing uh, when we think about narrative, and that's something I've studied a lot, is uh, the way we think about how characters and plot and those kind of things work together in order to help us to understand things better. All these are ways that add to it. I'll even say some of the things you mentioned earlier, you mentioned liberation readings, Mm -hmm. uh, liberation theology. I think those things are valuable because they may help us be aware of blind spots Mm -hmm. to our our own reading. I've I've, um, had value in some of my studies have been in places where there are people from other parts of the world uh, and I've, you know, I know brothers and sisters in Christ who are in other parts of the world and listening to how they understand particular scriptures in their culture can sometimes help me see blind spots that I, you know, cause I'm, I'm reading, I am reading this from a very particular historical place, but here's the difference. Here's the difference I would say, Ryan is, is I don't look at my own, uh, biases and, and my own, uh, place in history and say, well, this makes it impossible for me to understand anything historically or anything in the past. What I say is this means I need to be even more aware of a particular bias. I mean, just kind of a silly example, you know, Jesus talks about farming a lot. And when he's talking about these images of farming, I shouldn't immediately think of a John Deere tractor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I need to think about, well, how, how was farming done then? You know, before combines, how did they separate the wheat and the chaff and these kind of things? And I think they even give us more indication of scripture. But but being aware of it, I think is not a bad thing. Liberation theology, basically one of the things that it makes us aware of is the way that power 
can be abused sometimes. And I think as Christians, that's not something we want. We don't want to be people who are oppressing others. In fact, the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, speak against people who would do that. Uh, often, you know, uh, scripture was often written to people who were in difficult situations. And, uh, you know, very specifically, scripture addresses the poor and and those who are in need. And so I think to see from that perspective, if we ourselves are in a position where we've never ex- experienced poverty in, in an in extreme sense, like, you know, I've, I've traveled in, in uh, developing world countries, for example, and uh, if you think about people in, in situations like that, it can sometimes help us have an appreciation for what, you know, the, the poor really means and what it means to, to, um, to address that. So again, I don't want that to be the only thing that I do in my, in my understanding of scripture, but it can, I think it can help it. Yeah. So we've talked about the challenges. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean, we've talked about like, yeah, we can, we, we're living in a certain particular place in time and um, from a particular standpoint and everybody's coming from, you know, uh, everyone across the world is reading yeah. in different ways, but so can the Bible still bring us authority? Through Absolutely. All that, through, that, through that veil of time and yeah, and, and I think it's important. Again, we understand it. I think I think the basic message of the scripture is clear. I mean, the the gospel's simple for us to understand. Uh, there there are things I think you know the idea that Christ has come uh, into the world to save sinners, as he says, that Christ has come at the time of our own need while we were still sinners. These kind of things are very very clear. All we're talking about is if we really want to live the Christian faith, if we really want to understand the Christian faith, the more we devote ourselves to the study of these things, I think the more we can appreciate certain parts of the faith and have a a more nuanced understanding. But no, I'm not trying to suggest that that there's a huge misunderstanding of Scripture. Often, in fact, it's the people—I mentioned Dan Brown earlier—it's people like that that grab the headlines when they say, oh, we've misunderstood the Bible for hundreds of years. Here's the true meaning of it. Um, no, I think I think that that the the basics of Scripture are available there for us. What God is communicating is available there for us. And I, I guess the other thing I should say, you know, it's not just a trouble of understanding it. I'm trying to remember who it is that that I always quoted when I'm saying this. Um, but you know, the the other part of it is we need to obey Scripture. One person said something to the effect of the Bible has been what purchased more than it's been read. It's been read more than it's been understood, and it's been understood more than it's been obeyed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not just a matter of understanding what Scripture says, but it's an it's an issue also of living our lives in, in a way that's that's commanded by Scripture. You mentioned communal reading. I, I want before we leave, I want to say one more thing about that. You know, so scripture is not just informative too. I when I grew up, I thought, well, it's just a matter of understanding. If, if I understand these things, these things that are not clear to me in scripture, it's just a matter of understanding. But what I have come to learn as I have spent time reading scripture with lots of different people in different kinds of settings, both in this country and in other countries, I think there's something about the shaping that part of the authority of scripture is the way that it shapes us as we read it together in community. Part of the authority of scripture is that we allow it to have this this central place in our lives where we're reading these things together and we're we're asking hard questions about what it means to live this out in our context, in our time and in our places. And so scripture can have authority in that way too. It 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 makes us, you know, these stories that we repeat every year make us who we are. It it shapes us. 
I, I will quote Trimper Longman III. He said this. This is a quote that I really like by him. Trimper Longman said that the Bible ignites the character of Christ within us, uh, that Scripture changes us, if you will, to be like like Jesus. And uh, Jesus knew Scripture. You know, here here is uh, the one that we understand to be God incarnate, and yet he spent time reading the Old Testament scripture with other people and and sharing it together in community. And, and that shows how important it is for us, I think, to do that same thing. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, Brian, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll chat again soon. All right. Thanks. Yeah. See you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. We hope you found it interesting. Brian and I continued this conversation next week as I ask him several questions based on some of the issues we just talked about. If you haven't been there yet, you can find show notes, book recommendations, and more at thebiblebistro.com. You can also find us and follow us on Facebook at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And while Brian and I do have a list of topics we want to discuss, we also want to hear from you. Shoot us a message on Facebook or through the website with some questions and topics you would like us to talk about. We want this to be a resource and your input is appreciated. With that said, we hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon.